a very, uh, I don't want to say intimidating pulpit, but big shoes to fill. Uh, we have a preacher who cares about the word, uh, and he even built the pulpit himself. So, I mean, <laughs> there's a, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be, and I do thank God for that. I thank God also for this morning uh, at, uh, now, you're going to have to help me with this, because I'm about to say North Brooklyn, but it's not North Brooklyn anymore. Union Baptist Church is now meeting at 67 West Street temporarily till the building opens. And so that is going to be a huge change of direction for us and a very exciting transition for us. Now, we liked the North Brooklyn logo, and the name means a lot to us, and you prayed for North Brooklyn. The deaf have a sign for North Brooklyn uh, that they made up. So, you know, we're going to have to um, – it's going to be a transition for us. But uh, it's going to be an exciting transition, and it's going to help the church really – after the, talking about it with the church the last two services, I had people after church come up to me, and it seemed like it was actually starting to set in. This is really going to happen, and uh, we are really going to be in that building soon-ish. So we thank the Lord for that, and uh, it is really happening, and we are ever so close, and I'm excited about getting to lead the people there into that transition. And my goal, uh, well, I don't have a goal. My goal is to see as many people saved as possible, to see as many people baptized as possible, obviously, but uh, I truly believe the first service in there, or the first couple of services, we're going to be having baptisms, uh, maybe as many as five. Uh, so I am very excited about that. I was looking online this afternoon for baptistries. And by that, I mean, like, remember when they had the horse chop here? Well, we gave that away to another church, so uh, we'll need to find another one. Uh, there is a baptistry upstairs at Union, but I wouldn't put any water in there. I'm pretty sure it would all just run right into the basement. So let's hold off on that. But um, it's a very exciting transition. We hung up the signs. Uh, if, you've been to the build, if you've been to our building on West Street, then you know there's signs that lead you through the building. And we have to put up new ones that now you know, tell people they're at Union Baptist Church. Uh, we had a wonderful group from Kansas City, Missouri with us uh, this past week. Uh, they were here Sunday night and passed out tracks. And they passed out these tracks that say, Union Baptist Church. How cool is that? I mean, that's pretty exciting, huh? I'm excited about it. You better get excited. I mean, you're probably exhausted by it. But, you know, it's, it's, this is exciting. And so it says, um, you know, the story in there. And then it says, Temporary Meeting Place, 67 West Street, Suite 207. And we're going to hang a sign up next week on the fence at the building, letting people know. And we'll have brochures hanging up out there. And uh, these are exciting times. And we had a visitor this morning uh, from that group coming and passing out tracks. And they really didn't pass out as many as we were expecting. But we had a visitor come who just moved into the neighborhood. And, uh, and then we had a returning visit, visitor this morning who brought her husband and her father and her sister and their son. So uh, we had uh, and they're settling into the area and looking for a church. And so that's very exciting. Uh, the Lord is, is just working, and my wife's been picking up a group of ladies uh, on the north side of the neighborhood every Sunday morning. They've been coming, and uh, so God is doing something. It's a blessing. Now, it, it was a ladies' conference. Uh, we did have some guys walk in about 15 minutes after we started, but we thank the Lord for that and for faithful uh, people in the church. So pray for us as we're in this time of transition, and thank you for all your help and all your support. Uh, I didn't get to share it in testimony time, but we were... Um, uh, the, you know, every month we, we struggle to pay our rent on West Street. And we're part of the reason we're so eager to get into the building is so we can get out of the rent. <laughs> now, we'll have bills at Union Baptist, but rent won't, won't be one of them. Praise the Lord. And uh, every month, uh, you know, people here give, put a special designation, and, and that, that's always a blessing. And that usually helps us get across the finish line. But this past month, we were about $2,000 short. 
uh, coming up on like four days left to pay the rent. And, you know, I just tell pastor, just pray. And pastor would tell me, just pray. And, you know, we're telling each other, just pray. But you can tell we're obviously thinking, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, we don't just have money laying around. And last Sunday, a check came in, not from here and not from the outside group, for $2,000 and paid the rent. So we praise the Lord for that, just how he meets the needs, sometimes right at the last minute, but we'll take it either way. And uh, we're thankful for what he has provided. We're also thankful for this brother that's coming down to do the ceiling. I mean, I'm thankful, sort of. I, I hate to say I'm thankful that he lost his job, but I'm glad he has the opportunity anyway to come and work with us. And, uh, and that's a blessing. Can everybody hear me okay? Can you give me a little more in the monitor if that's possible? I can't really, I can't hear myself. I hear the air conditioner really well. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. I'd ask you to pray for me. Uh, Tuesday, I'll be going to San Diego, California and be in a missions conference with um, Brother Obero, who preached the missions conference here. Uh, their church invited, uh, invited me to come out. My wife and uh, children will be going up to Massachusetts uh, to be with her brother, who's a pastor up there. Uh, and uh, so pray for us as we have a bit of a travel week and as we represent the church out there in California. And then when we get back, the day after we get back, we're hosting a pastor's fellowship, uh, probably here, um, but there's a lot to get ready for there. And then also the same night I come back, we have another group from Missouri. Don't ask me why we got two, but another group from Missouri coming uh, next Monday. Next Monday night, they'll be getting in town. Now, this is the church that gave at the Heartland offering. They gave $15,000. And then this spring, they gave $6,900 to help with the church rent. Uh, this is a church of about 100 people. Uh, it's not exactly a huge church, but a church that loves what's going on here and has really been with us since the beginning. And so we're excited about having them here. And uh, they just want to work. They told me, we don't want to sightsee. We just want to work. Now, they're gonna, we're going to let them sightsee a little bit because I think that's important to see a little bit of the city. But uh, they want to get to work, and we have a lot for them to do. So we're excited about that. Uh, very busy weeks, and uh, I thank the Lord for... Pastor Montoro and, and just the, the amount of sacrifice and work that's gone into getting this far. We're almost there. People usually quit right when things are about to get easier, don't they? Right? So let's stick with it, and uh, the Lord's going to do great things. It's exciting. Amen. In Brooklyn, we say hallelujah. You can say that if you want. But praise the Lord. All right, Isaiah 39. Why don't we go ahead and open with prayer before we read our passage? Father, we thank you for this night, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can open it expecting something from you. Lord, no other book is that way. Most books, they wear us out after a while. We get tired of them. We put them away. But, Lord, when we open your word, every time... We can expect or we should expect, Lord, to be blessed, to find something that not only is going to entertain us like a typical book would, but something that's actually going to feed our soul. Even a passage we've read over and over and over again, Lord, can be fresh and new every time. And Lord, we confess that because we are so accustomed to hearing truth, we are also tempted to be the most deceived into thinking we follow it. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that you would help us as you helped your servant in the passage we're about to read to be sober-minded, to put aside the things of this world, 
to set our phones to do not disturb and our minds as well. Lord, to have our hearts focused on a message from you, something that we're going to need, Lord, in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this place. We talk about the miracles in Brooklyn, but we don't want to forget the miracles right here. And Lord, we are truly sitting in a miracle tonight. And that this place is here is all the credit to you. Lord, we pray for our pastor as he travels, our teens as they uh, go to the youth conference, Lord, that you would touch their lives in a great way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read our passage and then we'll get into the story here. Isaiah 39, verse 1. And at that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baldan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. Now, how many of you right there said that sounds like something I would enjoy? Hello. They got letters and a present in the mail. Where is it? There it is. Letters and a present. So immediately, this sounds like something we would, we would appreciate having ourselves. He sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick, and this is a reference to the previous chapter, we'll talk about that, and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them, and who wouldn't be, right? It's always fun to get something in the mail. And showed them. Now, this is after they've sent the present. They, they, uh, uh, there's a kind of a royal entourage with them from Babylon. And he showed them the house of his precious things, the silver, the gold, the spices, precious ointment, all the, house, all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. This is the equivalent of showing someone your backyard showing them the new patio you had put in, the big screen TV you just bought, and you're showing them your success. You're showing them, here's how good it's been going for me. (laughs) And so he's showing them all these different things. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. We'll pause there, but we'll comment down to the end of the chapter. Hezekiah in the previous chapter finds himself in a near-death situation. And this near-death situation almost took his life early. He was probably 38 to 40 years old, and he had been a great king in the land of Judah. Second Chronicles talks about the incredible reforms, how he had completely cleaned the house when it came to idol worship, got rest, the worship restored in the temple, and various other things that he did, that he restored the name of the nation throughout the nations and prepared the nation for however it was that ultimately they were going to have to deal with the Assyrian invasion. Assyria had been beating on the door of the nation of Judah for many years, and it seemed like it was only a matter of time before they were going to invade. Hezekiah helped prepare the people far better than the kings before him to prepare for this time. And when he was on his deathbed, It happened to be at the absolute worst time that he could be sick because not only was he sick unto death, but Assyria had decided that because he was sick, it was the perfect opportunity, the perfect chance for them to invade. And so uh, while their leader was detained, they decided this would be the time for us to attack. And in the previous chapter, we learn about how Hezekiah had this near death experience and God came to him with the message of the prophet and God extended the life of Hezekiah. And it's quite a humorous story, really. Uh, We've been preaching through Isaiah in our church and really trying to focus on Isaiah's perspective and how he dealt with the kings and to see how a servant interacts 
uh, with the people God has sent him to minister to and what that kind of teaches us about how we should serve the Lord. And Isaiah, if you remember, and the last time I got to speak here, we talked about Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6 and 7, how Isaiah was called with that wonderful calling in the temple. Do you remember that chapter where it says, here am I, send me, and you know who will go for us? And, and you have that wonderful vision in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah is granted to see the glory and the holiness of God. He's granted to see angelic beings and, and a, a marvelous sight in the temple. And then after he gets that calling, it, or after he gets that vision, it makes him mindful of his own sinfulness. And any time we get close to God, we're mindful of our own sinfulness, aren't we? And when you see people meeting God in the Bible, they're falling down on their face. When you see people worshiping on the, in the Bible, they're getting low and on their knees and on their face to the ground. Why? Because they see the holiness and the power of God. He sees this and he confesses his sins and God cleanses him of it. And then God asks for someone to go. He asks for a volunteer. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And how many people have dedicated or rededicated their life in the service of the Lord with those words on their, on their tongue? And said, Lord, just like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Lord, uh, I, I find it challenging to go to the people you have me to go to, but here am I, send me. And with that call, God then instructs Isaiah that Isaiah is going to go to a people... And he, what he tells them to do is make their ears heavy and their hearts fat. <laughs> he, his call is immediately, his expectations immediately meet reality. Although he has this glorious vision and this glorious call, now this call is going to be to a people that God says won't listen to him. Wow, what a challenging call. And Isaiah's ministry, as you walk through the book of Isaiah, you see time and again where he is confronting uh, king after king who thinks they're doing the right thing, and it's Isaiah's job to come in there and set them straight. And I can imagine, being this many years into his ministry, that Isaiah perhaps has developed some sort of hardness, and whatever sort of sensitive, bold speaker he was in Isaiah chapter 6 and 7, especially when he was dealing with Ahaz, that was his first challenge. I imagine by this point with Hezekiah, there's a little bit more of the rugged, tell it like it is, point the bony finger prophet that we kind of expect when we think of the prophet. After all those encounters with one rebellious king after another, I can only imagine by now Isaiah's kind of got the hang of it. <laughs> and he kind of, under, kind of expects when he gives the message, or when God says go to this king, that it isn't going to tell him he's doing a great job. <laughs> it's probably going to tell him something that he does not want to hear. And Isaiah has become very well-versed in this role. And so Isaiah came to him at that near-death experience and tells Hezekiah as he is sick, and I can, I can hear the footsteps of Isaiah. Uh, I can just imagine his footsteps being like thunder that shook the room as he walked in to the king's palace and confronts him about his illness. And perhaps Hezekiah is hoping he's coming to give me some good news or he's coming to give me an ultimatum or he's coming to tell me that perhaps I'm going to live. And instead, Isaiah walks in and the words right out of his mouth are, you are sick and you are going to die. <laughs> and basically tells him to make his bed because this is his end. And, <laughs> and then he turns around and he walks out. Man, what a job. That was the prophet. He, his job was not the job really anybody wanted. And he had to go say things. Although to people that would be interesting to say it to, but he had to go say what needed to be said. No matter the cost, he had to go do it. Now, here's the interesting thing. That wasn't the first person Isaiah had said that to. When he said it to people like Ahaz, 
Ahaz was the worst. I mean, he, well, he wasn't the worst, but he was pretty bad. And when he, he had received a similar message, he basically cried. I mean, the Bible even talks about that in Second Chronicles, about him crying tears, throwing his face against the wall, not in a, sense, not in a humble way, but in a, like a child crying on the, against the wall. You kind of, woe is me. But Hezekiah, interestingly, and as we would expect of him, does not react that way. When Isaiah comes and speaks for God and says, you're going to die, Hezekiah's reaction is humility. And he accepts what the prophet is telling him. He doesn't try to fight it. And he gives it to the Lord. And while he is sick unto death, the Assyrian invasion is still eminent. And the Bible says in the previous chapter that Isaiah spread it before the Lord. That he went back to the temple, he took all his circumstances, and he took the letter that he had from Assyria telling him he was toast, and he spread it out before the Lord and said, God, I give the circumstances over to you. What a great reaction. I mean, this man could have run and hidden in his house until his last day, but instead he spread it all out before God, and he said, Lord, I give it all to you. Now, remember, Isaiah had just left telling him that he was going to die. And Isaiah, and God stops Isaiah. I don't know if it was on his way out the door or on his way home. I like to think he hadn't gotten very far outside of the king's house. While the king is repenting and, and asking God for uh, what he should do, um, Hezekiah, God, uh, God tells Isaiah, go back. And I got something else to say to Hezekiah. And he tells Isaiah to go back and tell Hezekiah, okay, you're going to live another 15 years. Now, again, I think about it from Isaiah's perspective. <sighs> You know, how anticlimactic. You've just gone in and boldly professed, you're dead. <laughs> and now you haven't even gotten home yet. You've got to turn around and say, never mind, <laughs> 15 more years. <laughs> but that was kind of the nature of the prophet's ministry. He lost face. He had egg on his face all the time. And, and not just Isaiah, many of the prophets. Uh, God was not primarily concerned about their comfort or their reputation or their status on social media or anything like that. He was interested in using them to his own ends and for his own glory. And that's exactly what he did. So he gives Hezekiah 15 years. He spreads it out before the Lord and the Lord gives victory. He actually defeats the Assyrian army without the Israelites even having to fight. So it's an incredible ending to a very tumultuous time in the kingdom. And with Assyria wiped out, uh, with the army completely destroyed and the king would eventually... Uh, the uh, the king of um, Assyria would eventually be killed later on. It seemed like his days were going to end in peace. It, there seems to be from this reading an assumption that because the primary problem that was in front of him had been dealt with, that there wasn't a thought that there could ever be any other problem that could be as bad or that could be as destructive to the kingdom. I mean... We're talking about tangible problems here. There's an army at your door, and you're sick and about to die. Both of those problems are now eliminated. The army is gone, wiped out, and your disease is healed, and you know how many years you have left. And not only that, but somewhere in that time, he had a son. So that was like all his big problems were all being solved. His health, the fact that he had no heir, and the fact that Assyria was at the door. All of them seemed to be dealt with. Now... I don't want to begrudge Hezekiah here and not let him enjoy that moment for just a second because it's a blessing when you're blessed, isn't it? It's a blessing when things go right. It's a blessing when God answers your prayers. 
Remember when we used to say, thank the Lord that he gave us Union Baptist Church? Now we say, oh, oh goodness, here we go again, you know, and our backs are sore, right? Because there's work, you know, afterwards. But for that little window of time, we got to just pause and enjoy it and say, yes, you know, the Lord's given us what we wanted. And it appears that Hezekiah didn't think very much about there potentially being any other imminent threat to his kingdom from without. And that's where the danger in his life begins to play out because the danger wasn't from without (laughs) it was from within that the one thing that could bring his kingdom down wasn't necessarily an invading army it was him it was him thinking that because everything was going right there wasn't any immediate crisis that that was the time to lose sobriety to not be focused and to let his guard down And that's exactly what he does here in our passage. You notice it says that he received letters and gifts from Babylon. Now, Babylon at that time, if you would ask somebody in the nation of Judah or even in the nation of Assyria, is Babylon an imminent threat? They would have all said no, (laughs) because Babylon had not risen to the sort of prominence that you and I both know of. When I mention the word Babylon, hopefully something in you says Babylon, I don't know a lot about it, but I know it's not a good thing. <laughs> Babylon, bad. You know, they were, they were later uh, overtaken the nation of Judah and carried them off into captivity, which is an incredible story that God took them, starting with Abraham, took them out of the Ur of the Chaldees, across the Fertile Crescent, down into Canaan land, into Egypt, <laughs> back into, Can- into the wilderness wanderings, back into Canaan, and then through Babylon, walks them all the way back up the Fertile Crescent and takes them back because Babylonia was basically near the early Chaldees, and takes them right back to the beginning where they started. Incredible story. So nobody in a million years would have thought at this time that that would have been possible. How many of you, say, 10 years ago, never thought that what's going on in the world today would be happening today, or 20 years ago, or 30, or 40 years ago, would have thought that 2017 would look anything like this? (laughs) Life can do that to you, can it? The world can change. In a day. Nobody ever thought that Babylon would be a threat. So, but here's what they did know about Babylon. They did not worship God. That much they did know. They did not acknowledge Jehovah. They did not worship God. They worshiped false idols. So that much they knew about him. They knew about them. Now, as neighboring, well, not really neighboring, but as uh, nations of the region, could there be some sort of acknowledgement of each other's existence? Sure. Could there be some sort of mutual cooperation in, in terms of, um, you know, land and, and water and things like that? Sure. But there was one thing that was clear to God's people, no matter what the nation was, that if they don't serve Jehovah, you're not to have any league with them. And something that they had learned in their history was when you make leagues with nations, it gets you in trouble. You are God's people. Be God's people. And so there wasn't, didn't seem to be any acknowledgement of that fact, any understanding that this visit from Babylonia could end up being a problem. All they saw was letters and gifts. Hezekiah is feeling good. He's helped reform the nation. He's helped uh, uh, to bring about revival in the nation, the defeat of Assyria, his own physical uh, health has been taken care of, and now he has produced a son which is going to take the throne after him. By the way, it was Manasseh, and if you know anything about him, he's a bad guy. So, so not, things weren't even that secure there. But 
things were going well. And it was when things were going well that he got himself in trouble. But one author said it this way, when Satan cannot defeat us as the roaring lion, he comes as the deceiving serpent. Something I say to our people all the time is, God, the devil, excuse me, the devil is not looking to kick your door down. He's just waiting for you to leave it cracked open. And it is those times when we have lack of sobriety. I'm not just talking about drinking when I say that. You understand, right? I'm talking about not just being aware of the spiritual warfare that is out there, of the vulnerabilities that are possible in life, of just being kind of settled on our leaves and not paying attention to what's going on in our lives. When Satan cannot defeat us as the roaring lion, he comes as the deceiving serpent. The author continues, What Assyria could not do with weapons, Babylon did with gifts. Wow. Assyria couldn't defeat Judah with sword and spear. But Babylon came to overthrow them by giving them a present. (laughs) The Bible says that the devil comes as an angel of light, doesn't he? His deception is so powerful and so authentic that even what he appears to be doing, even what he's doing can appear to look like something God is doing or some sort of blessing in our life. And when we have and and you know what? Notice what's missing from this entire story. No consultation with Isaiah. (laughs) He has the prophet of God would come to him at any time for any reason and talk to him about anything he wanted. And when he gets this message from Babylon, he, he doesn't even suspect that it could be a problem, even though he should know better than that. He doesn't even ask the man of God. He just says, well, I'm the king and, uh, you know, I'm in charge of this. And so, you know what, if I want to host a, a neighboring state, well, then why not? So they come in and he shows them the entire area. Now, we already know the end from the beginning that later Babylon is going to come and destroy them. It wasn't clear to them that, then, but it is clear to us now. So, so. Uh, Babylon was really, they weren't coming to give him a present. It was more of a spy mission, if you will. They were coming with the pretense of giving a present so that they could find out exactly what the state of Judah was. They had heard about Hezekiah's healing. They had heard about the defeat of Assyria. And so they, they come to him sort of to kind of spy him out and to find out what the state of the kingdom is. And their mission is a complete success because not only do they get to peek in the door and find out what's going on, but they find Hezekiah inviting them in willingly and saying, come on in and, and look at everything that we have and look, look at all of our gold and look at it talks about weapons. They let them, you hear about spying and stuff in the news. They let the enemy come right in and see all of their military uh, uh, everything that they had been preparing for war and battle, let them see everything. They walked right in and got to see it all. And the whole time, Hezekiah finds himself playing the fool and not realizing that everything that he is showing these men, these men one day will be back, uh, or their children will be back, and they will be carrying all that stuff into Babylon. But the interaction that, that really is surprising to me is when Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. Now, having already dealt with him once in a way that was a bit strange, (laughs) where he says, you're going to die, and then a few minutes later he has to come back and say, okay, you're not going to die. Isaiah now has to come to him again, and I I can just hear the tone of these guys. Um, 
in these words. And if you don't ever hear that in your Bible, I would encourage you to be listening a little more closely. Um, you can make the Bible, the Bible is not boring, but we can make it boring. But if you'll just take a minute to read, a, just to think about, you know, what it would be like to be sitting there at the table. Uh, it, it is really kind of interesting what is going on here. Notice the, the interaction between these two in verse number three. Then came Isaiah, the prophet, unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, now the men have already visited, what said these men? So I don't know if they're out the door at this point, if they're sitting at a table. I don't know exactly what the scene is here, but it appears that either the men have just recently left or they were about to leave. But either way, Isaiah acknowledges their presence and he gives them a very direct. Now, I like this. I like direct questions. I don't like leading questions. I don't like salesmanship. I don't like poking and prodding. I like somebody to be forthright and direct. It saves time. It saves frustration. It clears the page. I like direct lines of questioning. And Isaiah definitely had one in this case. He says, what said these men? Now, that's a pretty clear question, isn't it? What did these men say? Tell me. Now look at the, and he, and he also asks, and from whence came they unto thee? What have these men said, and where are they from? Now that is a very clear question. Here is Hezekiah's answer. They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Now I see two problems with that immediately. Okay, Isaiah knows where Babylon is. He doesn't need to be told it's in a far country. Are you with me on that? He doesn't need to be told where Babylon is, okay? He knew a little bit about history. He wasn't an ignoramus. He knew where it was. But Hezekiah insists on replying and saying, oh, these men, oh, they come from really far away. Oh, you don't understand. I mean, you're used to being a Jude all the time, and you don't get out much, Isaiah. We know you're the prophet. But these guys, they traveled far, even from Babylon, okay? Long journey. Now, like I said, Isaiah already knows where it is. He doesn't need to be told it's far. Number two, he asked them what they said, and he doesn't respond. You notice how he left, he leaves that out, and he doesn't actually say what they said. You say, Brother Mike, are you, are you putting too much of an emphasis on that? Here's what I'm trying to point out. That when a man in a position of authority is confronted by the prophet, instead of just answering directly, he becomes misleading and defensive. And you say, Brother Mike, that's a story from thousands of years ago. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, really? And when you're confronted about things, you're never defensive? <laughs> if you are, I see some heads going up and down. Thank you for the confession. Because we're all that way, aren't we? No one, we don't like to be confronted about anything. Certainly not. And neither was Hezekiah, apparently. Because when he was confronted by the prophet, he couldn't give him a straight answer. The, the, the exchange continues. Verse 4. Then said he... More questioning. What have they seen in thine house? <laughs> and Hezekiah answered. Notice this answer. Before he wasn't giving him the entire answer. Now he's giving him too much of an answer. Either way, it kind of shows guilt, don't you think? All that is in mine house have they seen. Now, that sh there should be a period right there, but he goes on. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed to them. Now it's kind of more turning authoritative in his tone. Uh, I'm the king and I'll show them whatever I want. So I showed him whatever I, whatever I wanted, which just happened to be everything. What's it to you? Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts, 
Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house. You see how he's, he's, using, a, he's using his own words against him right there? He's kind of doing a little play on words. Because Hezekiah just said, I showed him everything as if it was his authority to do. It was his right to do so. So now he, he takes his words and uses them against him and says, All that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. He tells them, oh, you think you have the authority to show them whatever you want? Well, one day God is going to, because you have, not, not only because you have done this, but you have played a part in what God is doing with the nation. It's explained in, in Second Chronicles in much more detail that there is a series of abuses against God that take place over a period of 400 years before God eventually allows uh, Judah to be overtaken by the Babylonians. But this is just a symptom and an example of the pride that was so prevalent throughout the nation right up to the throne of the king. That says, this is my kingdom and this is my right to rule. And if I want to show these men anything I want, then I'm going to do it. And who are you to say otherwise? You notice how Isaiah responds there. He says, all that is in thine house. And what's the next phrase that he says? <clears throat> Let me look. Oh, yeah. Verse six. All that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day. You see what Isaiah is doing there? He's reminding them. You are the king of this nation. But you did not create this nation. That what you have in terms of your authority was passed down to you. And it was not passed down for you to just squander and throw away and give away or show to other nations. You have a responsibility as a king to this country. And it is not yours to do whatever you want with. And he reminds this man in a position of authority that though you have power to control the nation, that power has a certain check to it. And it it answers to a higher authority. That is the Lord God Almighty, because it is truly his people over which he has been made the steward. And he tells him and basically he breaks down his defenses completely because now there's nothing else he can say in retort, uh, nothing he can say to argue with him. He simply tells him now the things that are you think are in your control that you are going to um, Do what you want with. Well, now something is coming that's going to be out of your control. And when Babylon comes at the door, although it would be many years later, when Babylon comes at the door, it is going to be out of your control. It is going to be out of your son's control. He he goes on in verse number seven and talks about the um, that his children are going to become eunuchs and be carried off into the palace, meaning they are not only uh, a very graphic language there. Not only are they going to be carried into captivity, but their entire cultural identity as a nation is going to be extinguished. And they are going to be slaves in the purest sense of the word to Babylon. So something that you had within your control, you were asked to manage. You took too much power, too much authority for yourself. And now, as part of the consequence, things are going to happen that are out of your control. I'm just I'm just asking tonight, does that ring a bell in anybody's life? You see. You exist on this earth with a certain amount of free will. Isn't that neat? Now, I mean, God has authority over your uprising and your downsitting, but you get to set your own alarm clock. See what I'm saying? Hello. Wake on up, everybody. That, in a sense, I don't want to get into too much of a business philosophy, self-help philosophy, but you truly are, in a certain degree, a CEO of your own life. I'm not trying to say that you have power over your life or anything like that, but but God allows the day-to-day to to be up to you. Uh, I can remember hearing about Jonathan Goforth, and he would talk about, um, or Jonathan Edwards, excuse me, uh, one of his many resolutions in his life is 
before he would go to get something to eat, he would pray and think about if that was something that he should be eating or not be eating, if it would be something that would be profitable to his own health. But isn't that, I appreciate that sort of um, how much of an extension he had in terms of his yieldedness to God, that it went all the way down to the food that went into his body. I mean, you know, we, we think we're doing something because we, you know, we prayed and asked God to bless our Cheetos. I mean, but this guy went further and he said, should I even be eating Cheetos for God? And, and I mean, he had a, a, I mean, talk about holiness and, and sensitivity to the Lord. But you understand God lets you choose what's on the menu. That there's a certain amount of authority that God extends to you as a human being. You have choices you're allowed to make. Now, of course, everything we should consider God's will. And everything we should, we should consider, you know, is this something God would want me to do? Is, should this be the actions of a Christian? Is this something Jesus would do? Is this something I would do if I was one of the twelve and I was with Jesus or if I was in the early church? You know, and think about it in terms of biblical, and well, think about it uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if I was uh, alive uh, in those days, is this an action I would do? And just we take all those things into consideration before we make decisions. But God lets us make decisions. I mean, he lets us decide. He gives us a certain amount of authority in our lives. Isn't that interesting? Have you thought about that? Maybe even that should be something that you kind of give God glory for. We're not a bunch of robots. Hello? We're not determinists in the sense that we believe God's already planned everything out before. And so we have no free choice, no free will. Um, God does know the end from the beginning, but uh, he has a, he has for perfect foreknowledge. But our destiny, we have a choice in what we do. We have a choice in whether or not we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a choice in whether or not we serve him, whether or not we walk in holiness. We have choices that God enables us to make. And I think I'm standing on very firm ground to say that. I can't say that in a Calvinistic church or something like that because they don't believe in that. They believe everything is foreordained, preordained. And they take those, those Bible words and totally mix them up uh, and and uh, their knowledge of Israel is all backwards, and they don't believe that in the same way we do. Well, we believe in the free will of man. And the man does have a choice, not only in whether or not he will believe on the gospel for eternal life, but whether or not he will serve God in all, of his de- in all of his ways. Yes, we should be yielded to him. We should take the yoke upon him. But notice, Jesus invites us to. He doesn't force the yoke on us. He gives us, even as disciples, a choice whether or not we will follow on the narrow way that leads to life or the broad way that leads to destruction. Remember, that was an invitation to the disciples as to how they would serve the Lord. So there's a certain amount of authority that's vested into our lives. And the question is, are we going to make choices with the things that God allows us to make choices with that are going to be done in a right way? Are we going to allow those choices to be made in light of God's word? Are we going to consult God's word before we make a choice, before something comes into our lives that isn't necessarily sinful, but maybe questionable? I would say Babylon at the door definitely fell into one of those sorts of situations. Are we going to make decisions based on, is this something that God would want me to do? Not only, not only that, but it goes further than that. Is this decision going to have an effect in the other areas of my life in which God has given me authority? Is me seeing this, is me spending time with this person going to be good for my marriage? Is me going to this activity going to be helpful for my children? See, they're different realms of authority. God allows, God allows in my life, God allows in your life, but they're interconnected. They do affect each other in a great way. And the consequences of one can affect every area. My failure in one area of life can affect my kids, can affect my church 
can affect my testimony and my effectiveness for the Lord. And Hezekiah did the right thing. Because unlike Ahaz, who went crying, (laughs) he went back to where he was when God had confronted him the first time. Excuse me. When God had confronted him the first time, he turned to the Lord and he he brought it to the Lord in prayer. And he basically does that again. Look at it in verse 8. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Now, if you read that, it almost sounds like he's saying, Well, that's in the future, but at least I don't have to deal with it now. But that's not actually what he's saying at all. It, it's a reference. The wording is reference to the previous chapter. And it's, um, if you look at chapter 38, um, he gives a uh, kind of a, an almost like a song uh, in that chapter where he reflects on his walk with the Lord. In verse number 19, he says, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. That phrase there, the living... He shall praise thee is a theme that runs through the Bible. You see it mentioned many times in Psalms. And it is this idea and theme that says you can only serve God while you're alive. (laughs) That you have one life to live. And in this, of course, we're going to serve him in heaven if you want to look at it that way. But you can only be alive once. (laughs) And you're given one life. And and, in the living praise God. The living serve God. In, in, In other words, we are alive today. There is going to be a problem nine to a hundred years later with Babylon. But I cannot do anything about that. I can't stop that. That is in motion and there's nothing that can bring that back. But I can serve him today. In fact, he knew exactly how many years he had left. <laughs> and he says, today I can serve the Lord. Today I can, I can teach my children the right way. Today I can rule the kingdom well. Today I can make choices that are going to please the Lord and be in line with his will. And tomorrow... I have to leave with him. I have to leave with the Lord. One author put it this way. He said, Hezekiah was safer as a sick man in bed than as a healthy man on the throne. (laughs) I think that that's right. I think that that's right on. Had he consulted with Isaiah, the king would have avoided blundering as he did. The author continues. He says, the prophet reminded Hezekiah that as king... He was only the steward of Judah's wealth and not its owner. Some of that wealth had come from previous kings, and Hezekiah could claim no credit for it. So Hezekiah was resolved that the days that he had left, he would serve the Lord. And the days that were unknown, he would give to him. Can I ask you, typically we ask, you, know, you, you hear often in a sermon, or I find myself saying it a lot, are you in a time of difficulty, are you in a time of trial, and you need to tr- trust the Lord? Well, tonight I don't have to say that because that's not the context here. The context is, are things going well in your life? (laughs) Is God blessing you? (laughs) Did you have enough month at the end of the money? Praise the Lord, like we did, (laughs) and the bill got paid. Are things going well? Then that's not a time to relax. That's not a time to say, well, I can handle all this other stuff. No, that's a time to focus on the Lord. That's a time to be sensitive to his message and to his prophets. When you're... Because, I mean, you know, when, when I'm in a crisis, I feel like I'm listening to the preaching a little bit more because I, I need something, right? I'm on the end of the pew thinking, Pastor, you better deliver tonight because I, my tank is empty and I need help. But if things are going well, please don't tell me I'm the only one. It could be easy to say nothing <laughs> and just kind of come on in and go through the motions because we don't have that sense of urgency that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. 
Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need this bill to be paid. I need healing in my physical body. I need this person to be dealt with. There are times, praise the Lord, maybe you don't get to experience them that often, but there are times when there isn't any immediate need that needs to go on the prayer card. I mean, we always have needs, right? But there isn't anything that we can at least foresee in our life where there's an urgent need. It is in those times that I, I'm trying to speak to tonight and trying to communicate to you that it is in those times that we need to continue to consult God the way we did in the times of difficulty. Because the devil will look for those opportunities, as the author uh, so wisely said, to not to overcome us with weapons, but to overcome us with gifts. And to allow the times of peace and prosperity in our lives to be times of vulnerability, where the devil doesn't kick the door down, but we leave it open just a little bit. And he creeps in and causes havoc in our lives. Hezekiah had his ups and downs as king. He did a lot of great things, but God was not, um, or God was willing to show us his mistakes. Critics of the Bible often jump on that idea. Oh, you're Bible heroes. Did you know that they did this and they did that? And they, yeah, I do. That's why I love the Bible so much. See, what you see as a problem, as a contradiction, I see as authenticity. I see that these people that serve God were just like me, flesh and blood. Because we're all of one blood anyway, by the way. But they were flesh and blood just like me. And as much as they served the Lord, they also failed the Lord. As much as they saw God do miracles in their lives, they made missteps and they made mistakes. And Hezekiah is one, and Isaiah is one as well. That shows us when we get knocked down, when we go the wrong way, we can get back up. In the days we have left, we can serve the Lord. Not all the consequences are wiped away in this life. Praise the Lord. The consequences in heaven are. <laughs> and when we stand before God in judgment, it won't be for our sin. It'll be for our service. Because their sin has been dealt with on the cross. Can I get an amen? I said, can I get an amen? There we go. He humbly accepts the terms that God has given to him. Hezekiah says, Lord, I accept your will in my life. Second Chronicles 32, 26, which is, is a parallel passage to the story, says, Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. He... He humbled himself and so did all the people. In other words, they realized what they did. And what they had done, allowing the Babylonians to come in, it was one of those things that couldn't be undone. It couldn't be undone. It was, oh no, we have let these people right into our front door and we have let them see all around. They have made a huge mistake that cannot be undone. I'm talking about like a post you put on the Internet that you can't delete. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, something that you cannot, words that you say to someone that you can't take back. That's where the nation was. That's where the king was. They realized what they had done couldn't be undone. So then what can they do? Confess it before the Lord and be determined to live out their days serving him. If you've blown it, if you've made a mistake, if you said, I, I've done something here and there's some consequences to it, those will have to be dealt with in time. But you can serve the Lord today. You can find forgiveness and you can find strength and you can find hope as a Christian to continue on serving the Lord. And guess what? If you made a mistake in your Christian life, welcome to the club. Okay? We wear nice clothes to church for the Lord. We don't, try to, we don't wear nice clothes to hide who we are. Okay? We all know who we are. We're the wretch the song talks about, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? 
a wretch like me. That's us. That's you. That's me. We're not, there's no pretense here. We know who we are. And if you find yourself in that situation, seek the Lord. Humble yourself in the days that you have on this earth. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this night and we thank you for your word. Lord, we're always curious what goes on in the king's court. We're curious what goes on in the penthouses of Manhattan and the Hollywood Hills of California. And we're curious how people live out their lives. We have a celebrity culture in our, our nation. And people are, are, are dying to know what's going on in the lives of people of power. And Lord, you'd let us go right into the very halls, the very room of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And what we see in his life is exactly what's going on in the pews of this church or any church. People being confronted with truth and either dealing with it the right way or the wrong way. Lord, I pray that you'd humble our hearts. That when we're confronted with truth, when we're confronted with things that we've done, whether they be obvious sins or not so obvious to us, and perhaps there's a vulnerability in our life that, that is hard for us to see, but a brother or sister shows it to us, or, or we see it in your word as we go through our devotions, or, or the pastor preach about it, preaches about it in a message, or even comes to us in private and deals with it. Lord, that we would have humble hearts like Hezekiah did, that we wouldn't get all defensive. We say, Lord, I am yours, and we'd humble ourselves before you. Lord, I thank you that I can say I've been there many times. And everyone here could testify to that as well. And Lord, if any of us find ourselves in that time right now, I pray we'd humble ourselves before you. And Lord, that we'd be ever vigilant and ever careful to how the devil, the adversary, seeks to bring us down. That he doesn't normally use a sword, which gets us close up, but he uses an arrow that shoots from sometimes very far away. Lord, I pray we'd have the shield of faith the helmet of salvation. Lord, we have a heart to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Looks like the piano is going to play for just a moment. God's spoken to you tonight. Then speak back to him in prayer. There at your seat or here at the altar.